Good day, friends. This is Reiko Zek. I'm the pastor at St. Paul's and Clarence Center, and you're listening to the Jesus in the Center One Year Bible Podcast. Good day to you. This is day number 11. How you doing? Are you reading? Are you growing in faith? Are you struggling? Are you a few days behind? Are you listening to this sometime in February? I don't know. Uh, anyway, today is the 11th day. We're going to look at, well, I went a little bit ahead last uh, yesterday um, with Genesis uh 24, but today we're going to be in Genesis 25 and 26. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, uh, Psalm 10, most of it, all but three verses, and then Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. I would love if you have questions, and I'm pretty sure you do. Some of you said, I have a whole list of questions. Uh, share your questions with me, and maybe others. Pretty sure that you're not the only one who has those questions. I would love to uh, to explore them with you. Well, Let's take a look today in Genesis 25. Well, 24 is that beautiful story of God providing a wife for Isaac, a wife who had faith, and the servant of Abraham who had had strong faith to listen to the words uh, of Abraham who trusted in God. And so that whole story of Isaac and Rebekah is beautiful. Wow. So in uh, Genesis 25, we start off and the first six verses are, it's sort of the ending of the story of Abraham. And it's a little bit out of chronological order. It talks about how he has another wife, which is then described as a concubine, uh, Keturah, and she has six uh, sons. And also remember he has uh, Ishmael, who then um, has a bunch of sons. But this is out of order because it says he dies at a good old age, at 175 years. And I like this, the way it's phrased. Abraham breathed his last. This is verse verse 8. And he died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. That's a beautiful phrase. Some people believe, you know, that, that well, I think it's we can see that what was known to be true was revealed over time. So Abraham didn't know everything. You know, Isaac and Jacob, they just, they kept learning. And throughout the story of the Bible, more and more about God is revealed. And so in this time, they're coming out of paganism and what they believe about the afterlife um, it was was shown to them. So here, they definitely believe in an afterlife. Uh, and Moses, of course, does. And he's teaching us that Abraham was gathered to his father or gathered to his people. It says of David that he fell asleep or slept with his fathers. And uh, there's other, other places in Scripture. Uh, in the New Testament, of course, we know Jesus um, coins the, the phrase to fall asleep. Uh, to be asleep in the Lord. It's a beautiful picture that uh, reminds us that we will be woken up. We will be uh, risen to, to new life. Anyway, it's a beautiful phrase. Also take a look here. It says that Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave. They honored his body. And these two, these two men who are about, uh, at this point, Isaac is 75 and Ishmael is 89. They have, um, they, they have reason to be at odds, but they have a common... Uh, their, their father, and so they want to honor him, and so they, they come together, and they, they bury him, and uh, then then it talks about the genealogy, or the sons of Ishmael, his family just takes off, he has 12 sons right away, uh, but he is not the son of promise, he is blessed, God said that he would he would bless him, um, but but just notice the the amount of attention that is given to, to Isaac, right, so it's it's wrapping up the story of Abraham, and then it, it, it talks about Ishmael's sons, and it, and it does so with seven verses. And then it goes in verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac. And in contrast to seven verses with Ishmael, 
there's 364 verses that focus on the life of Isaac because it is through Isaac that God will bring the Redeemer. We see this all the way back to Genesis 17, verse 19. So then it picks up, and this is, this is it talks about the birth of, of Esau and Jacob. And so it's backing up a little bit chronologically. Abraham is still alive. Well, anyway, it's, it says that his wife, um, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, whom he loved, is barren, and barren for about 20 years. And so what does Isaac do? He says that he prayed. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And lo and behold, the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So that's, that's amazing, and it's great. Uh, after t- 20 years... You know, that's part of the story in Genesis is that these babies that come are miracle babies. They come, um, you know, the Lord is in charge, basically. And I think that's that's the hard thing in our own lives is that it's hard to let God be God. Um, right. So I think we all struggle with that. Well, verse 22, it says this. The children struggled together within her, within Rebecca, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? That is verse 22. Uh, in the NIV, you put there, in the NIV, it says, the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? All right, so these are kind of weak translations. The, the Hebrew actually sort of trails off, and it's something like this. Um, why do I live? If this is so, that these two are struggling together, why do I live? In other words, since my pregnancy is so hard, I want to die. And it's not because she didn't have faith. It's because, because it was a severe test. It's almost like she is living out within her within her womb this conflict that will be so great in times to come. Um, one of her sons, Esau, the the oldest, will become uh, will not be the one through whom the, the redeemer comes. That will be Jacob. Uh, but Esau, this one, will become the nation Edom, and Edom will hate. Uh, and be so vicious and violent against um, God's people, against Israel. We see this even in the days of Jesus, that one from the line of Edom, or Esau, uh, is King Herod, who is on the throne, who tries desperately to kill baby Jesus. Right, so there's this uh, conflict within Rebekah. And so she's like, why do I even live? And then it says that um, she went to inquire of the Lord. This is kind of a technical phrase to say that in addition to just praying, she she asked for a word from the Lord, from a prophet. And, and interesting, in this book so far in Genesis, there's only one prophet named, and that is is Abraham, who is still alive. So likely she went to Abraham, her father-in-law, and asked for a word from the Lord. And uh, Abraham, or some whoever it was, gave her this word. The Lord said to her, likely through a prophet, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. Right? There's this antagonism that will definitely come out. It says this, The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And this is so different, right? In ancient Near East, you know, the, the firstborn gets, becomes the head of the family, becomes the leader of the clan, and gets a double share of the inheritance. So it's a really important thing. And so... God is uh, altering that, and he's saying that the older shall serve the younger. It is the younger through whom, it is the weaker, we could say. It is not the, the, 
the burly dude through whom the seed will come, through whom the Redeemer will come. Well, she has a son. Um, and, and interesting here, just one thing that I learned, uh, the name where it says, uh, the first came out red or ruddy, all his body like a hairy cloak. That word hairy is, is in Hebrew, it's something like sire. It sounds like his name Esau. And so that's why they named him that. And then it says, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Uh, the word heel there in Hebrew is, and I apologize if this is too much, but it's Akev. And so they name him Yaakov, which sounds similar. The name Yaakov, Yaakov means to protect. Interesting, this will come up again <clears throat> with Esau after their conflict that we'll read in the next couple chapters that uh, Esau will sort of make a play on this word. Instead of being a protector, you're being a deceiver. And so he uses a different word, which sounds similar. We'll get to there uh, when we get there. So uh, Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. And interesting, the boys are growing up. Esau's a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac, this is bad parenting, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Uh, he's an outdoor kind of guy. Remember in the previous chapter, Isaac is out in the fields. He's meditating. He's probably, too, an outdoorsman. And he loves his son Esau because he's like that. But it says, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob, we see, um, he hangs out in, in the tents in the home. And he's even a cook. He's a girly man. You know, I don't know. Um, this is really bad parenting. They Both parents should love them both, you know, differently, of course, because they're different but to love them equally. So we see some bad family dynamics coming out. And then we see Jacob, uh, Jacob who tricks Esau, who comes in, he thinks he's going to die, right? <clears throat> he thinks he's uh, about to perish. So he's like, yeah, just give me some of that red stuff. Um, and, and Jacob takes advantage. He says, sell me your birthright now. And this birthright, it's, this is the, the customary, it's the double portion it's the, the oldest son's right to get twice as much as anybody else uh, when they divide the property. And it also means that this one will be the head of the clan. Now, why did Isaac do this? Did Isaac need to do this? No, like Isaac is struggling in his own faith. Like I've got, like his whole name means deceiver or conniver. We see him conniving here, trying to get what he thinks he needs. He doesn't need it, but he tricks his brother and his brother agrees, and he swears, right? And, and in that culture, when you swear or make an oath, it, it's irrevocable. You, you don't even think about changing your mind. So Esau swears, gives it to him, he eats. Um, check out Hebrews 12, 6, that talks about how shallow this is on Esau's part. But it says this, Esau thus despised his birthright. And Isaac probably knew this. All right, well, time goes on. And there is a famine in the land, and uh, this is the second famine that's that's listed here. And Isaac goes to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now we've already seen this guy Abimelech in chapter 20, but this is probably not the same Abimelech. This word Abimelech, king of the Philistines, this word Abimelech is probably like the word Pharaoh. It's a, probably a title, like president. Literally, it means something like father, king. We see. Abe or um, in, in the, the word Abraham or the name Abraham, right? So it's the same word, father, and then Malek is, is king, so father, king. So it's probably a title. 
probably not the same guy because this is like 97 years later from chapter 20. So a long time has passed. Well, there's a famine and Isaac is, I'm sorry, yeah, Isaac is tempted to do what his father did, which is to go down to Egypt and you know, there's a lot of water there. It's like the bread basket of the world. So go there when there's a famine. But the Lord shows up to him and appears and reminds him of the everlasting promise he's made and says, trust me, stay here, stay here in this land that I'm going to give to you. And so he reminds him of the covenant that he made with his father, Abraham. Um, that covenant, let me just remind you, has, has four parts. That There will be a seed or an offspring, plural, uh, one particular seed who will be the redeemer. Number two, there will be a land. Number three, there will be a nation, which he doesn't mention here. And number four, there'll be a divine blessing. So he reminds them all these things. Now, this covenant he made with Abraham is unconditional. In other words, it has, it's up to God. It is not up to both parties, right? But there is sort of a response. This is kind of like the Christian life. We are given our salvation freely, right? It is unconditional. It's a gift. We have open hands. Yet once we receive it, there is an expectation that we will walk in it, right? That we will live it out. That we will, uh, as Paul says in Philippians 2, that we will put our salvation to work. Uh, well, it's translated, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think it literally means um, put your salvation to work with fear and trembling. Um, right? So uh, here it says, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. This is verse verse 5 of chapter 26. Uh, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Abraham listened. Abraham heeded. So it was unconditional on God's part, but yet God asked Abraham to, to, to walk and listen and to be different. And so the things that he expected of him, we see already, was to circumcise all of those in his, in his household. And also um, that hard, crazy thing we saw in chapter 22, that test where he was asked to sacrifice or bind up his son, Isaac, this son of the promise. All right. So anyway, there's a lot more that goes on there. Uh, there's the, the story of, of Isaac walking in the sins of the father, right? Sins of the father are repeated where um, he says, you know, hey, Rebecca, just say that you're my sister. Dumb idea. It's already happened twice by Abraham, but uh, we see how these sins are passed along. This is such the, a stupid thing, right? But but can't you see that in your own lives? Like, man, I ended up doing the same thing my dad did. I fall into the same sins, whether it's gambling or whatever it is. My dad was like this, and man, I'm stuck in it too. I never thought I would do it. Um, and so uh, we see that even though these promises are given to Abraham and Isaac, um, they sin, and they sin in the same ways. And we see that in our own families as well. All right, well, Isaac trusts God, and he stays there, even though there's a famine. And God protects him, even though he's been sinning. Abimelech warns all the people, whoever touches this man his or his wife shall surely be put to death. And then we have him settling down and farming. And, and as he does so, he, um, he, his crop reaps a hundredfold. Now this is, this is ludicrous. This is just God's blessing because to produce tenfold would be pretty good in this climate, this land this uh, agricultural technology, but it says that he produced a hundredfold. And so Jesus picks up on this in the, the parable of the sower, the planter. He says, good seed, when it lands on good soil, it will reap uh, 30, 60, or even a hundred. That is the power of God's word. And so God had surely blessed 
Isaac here as he's uh, staying in the land and trusting uh, Yahweh just like his father did. Well, that's that's Genesis. Uh, also, we see today in, in Matthew, and just turn there, Matthew chapter 8, some amazing things. Um, we saw yesterday Jesus is healing many. He had He has authority, and now he's showing his authority to teach. He shows it in his authority by healing and doing miracles, and he's also challenging people. There's some who come and, and say, Hey, teacher, rabbi, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus challenges him and says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you're going to follow me, it will cost you. It will cost you everything. Another one said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And obviously his father isn't dead. It's not like he just left the wake and and stepped out to see Jesus. He's going to wait around until he can inherit his family's estate and then have a good nest egg. And then when he has time, he'll follow Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, follow me now and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Again, to follow me will cost you everything. Well, then we see the story of Jesus. I love this. He calms a storm. These are fishermen by trade, but this is an unusual and deathly storm. The, the waves are crashing over the boat, which is not good. Right? It's filling up with water. And these men say, save us. Kyrie, save us, Lord, we are dying. And he stands up and calls them, this is one word in Greek, little faiths, ye of little faith, right? Why are you afraid, little faiths? And it's kind of an easy answer. We're about to die. But they don't realize who's in the boat with them. So he stands up and he calms it with a word. Uh, He rebukes the winds and the sea. This is beautiful. It's great to just stop and imagine what it would be like when that, that turbulent sea goes into, you know, like still as, as glass. Wow. And they say, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? They don't know who is in the boat with them, but it will be revealed to them as, as they spend time with Jesus. All right, and then we see this, this story. Mark and Luke record a one, one demon-possessed man. Here, Matthew has two um, there probably was two, but Mark and Luke focus on the worst one or one of them. They stand there. Uh, so Jesus crosses over to the other side. That's why they're in the boat, that they're going across to this man. And they go to the country of the Gadarenes or some some translations have it, Gerasenes or Gergesenes. Uh, no one knows where that is, by the way. Uh, it's somewhere on the eastern shore of the, the Sea of Galilee. And it says that two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. They kind of stand up like bouncers. They're like, we got you. We're going to throw you out. Uh, it's almost like they're blocking Jesus and his party. You know, that's the way that Matthew sort of, the picture that he gives us. Here they come, these these burly guys, and Jesus and the, the group cannot pass, right? And they're confronting Jesus. And they say, uh, what have you to do with us? Literally, this uh, it's kind of a figure of speech in Greek. What to what to you? What to us and to you is literally what it is. What to us and to you? And this would be said either when one person is being bothered by someone else. Hey, man, what what is this between us? Why are you bothering me? Or if someone asks someone else for help, but you didn't feel like helping them, you'd say, What to us? What to me and to you? Like what what is this between us? In other words, just leave me alone. So whether that's you know there's hostility there or just like get away uh it's that's what the the demon 
possessed men say, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? They knew who Jesus is. Have you come to torment us before the time? And they beg, If you, you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And Jesus says, Go. And they rush the whole... Let me just read it. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep, steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. And... Uh, well, why? Why is this? So I, I was thinking about this. I think the biggest thing here is, you know, rather than thinking, well, this is a statement of Jesus against Gentile idolatry, against the uncleanness of pigs, right? It could be that. But the first thing is, this wasn't caused by Jesus. This was caused by demons. They wanted to go into these pigs. And I think Matthew is showing us here that this, this is the goal of Satan for humanity, right? To reveal that Satan wants to drown and kill us all. Also, think of this. Was this good? Was it good for these pigs to run down the bank? No. But was it, what's more important, a herd of pigs or two men whose lives and eternity is on the line? Obviously, these two men who were healed, who were cleansed of these uh, this this horde of demons right so interesting there lot to think about um i also just read this recently that you know in the old testament god forbid his people to eat pork and there's different reasons for that you know the cleanliness and and so on um, but in the ancient world pigs were very much eaten right we see in in the land of the Philistines, archaeologists have dug up all these these remains. But in the, the highlands where the um, where God's people live, there's no record of it. Even though on you know outside their borders, there was a lot of it. And and one thing it did was to distinguish them. You know, sometimes God asks us to do things that you know we could try to figure out the reason why. But sometimes it's just to just to have faith and just to trust me. I know what I'm doing, even if you don't understand it now. All right, that's what our proverb says today, and I'll just read that. Proverbs 3, 7, 8 says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Literally there, that word is medicine. So not being wise in our own, way, uh, in our own eyes and fearing Yahweh and shunning evil. This literally is medicine. It's health to us. You can read more about that in Psalm 32. David talks about his hiding his sin and how his body was literally wasting away. Right? Proverbs 10, just look at the two things here. It says, why, Lord, why do you allow the, the evil to prosper? And there's all these verses of, of describing the evil people who prosper. And then he says in verse 12, arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God, don't forget the helpless. It's, it's a beautiful prayer. Think of uh, your people in, in big trouble. Like, what if you're Jewish and Hitler is, is coming for your people? This is the kind of prayer that you would pray. Look, look at this man who is doing all these unjust and evil things to the helpless. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand. And the psalm ends like this. Break the arm of the wicked, of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. We don't normally think of, of people and, and pray that, but, but in, the, in the face of great evil, it is appropriate. Now, we know that God desires mercy for all, but there's also a, a justice that, that will be reckoned. 
And we know that this calls us to repentance, right? Back to the psalm, not being wise in our own eyes, fearing Yahweh and shunning evil. All right, well, long one today. I'm sorry. If you got through this far, good for you. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.